Hello everyone and welcome to another amazing episode of The Joy of Being for busy working moms and women in business and beyond who are seeking to unplug from their worries and overwhelm to light up with insight and joy. I, your host, mum and effortless lifestyle coach Marina Pearson, talk to transformational professionals, business owners and creatives about what it really takes to have a business and life you can truly enjoy. And on today's show, I'm super excited to be interviewing none other than Jamie Subner. She is the best-selling author of Unbound and has written for the Washington Post, Parenting Special Needs Magazine, and Scary Mummy. She is also an editor for Literary Mama, and she and her husband fought infertility for two years before seeking medical intervention. She's a son diagnosed with, with Wiedemann syndrome and cerebral palsy, and a boy and girl twins. And you can find her at mumgene.com. And what I loved about our interview today, and I want to love about Jamie, is her pa- capacity to laugh at her imperfections, her capacity to laugh and lighten up the role that we play as mothers, uh, regardless of the circumstances. We spoke about expectations that we put on ourselves as mothers. We spoke about the moments we weren't so proud of our motherhood. We also spoke about how our capacity to go beyond our expectations is actually the number one way to create freedom inside of us so that we can enjoy the journey so much more. So if you're curious about this episode, if you are a mum and you're listening to this, then please, I invite you to listen in and to just take some time, grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. So I'm super excited to have Jamie Sodner here and gosh, um, God, what a big faux pas when you're introducing someone in their book. Uh, thank God I don't get embarrassed. <laughs> At least you can't see me blushing, but welcome. I'm really excited to be interviewing you on, on this actually. So Jamie, first off, how did you write the book? What was it that sort of inspired you to do so? You know, it's funny. It didn't start as a book. Like I didn't sit down and think, I'm going to make a 90-page outline and then write a book and it's going to get published and it's going to be great. It mostly started a way for me to process kind of what I went through to get pregnant and have kids and then what my motherhood looks like because it's so different from everybody else's. I mean, number one, I think everybody's motherhood is different from everybody else's. But from what I was seeing on Facebook and everything, you know, I my oldest son has special needs and it was just so different from anything I'd seen. So it started as me sitting down with my laptop at like 4.30 in the morning. I mean, it's dark because that's the only time everybody is asleep and I could actually think about it. And I just started writing mostly to myself. And then I kind of realized a little ways in that this could probably help a lot more people than just me. <laughs> That's so beautiful. And what, oh, wow. And I just want to honor you for your commitment. That's a really. That's a really, yeah. really <laughs> early time, especially when you have kids. <laughs> so, you know, because for those listeners that haven't read your book, tell us a little bit more about what your motherhood, what it looks like now, because I'm sure it's kept changing over time because you've had realizations, because you've shifted the way you think about things. How did it used to look and how does it look now? Wow. The very beginning of my motherhood looked like I was more of a nurse than a mom. I mean, when so Charlie's my oldest and he was born with a rare syndrome called Beckwith-Wiedemann syndrome. Much later, he was about at a year old. He was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. But in that first year, he came home with a tracheotomy. He also had a G2. He had a little tube in his stomach. I had to feed him through And so our house, like I had emergency trait kits stored all over the house. Most moms have like snacks in their purse. I had latex gloves and sanitized water, sterilized water so I could suction out the trach. And we were definitely living moment to moment, which I think every mom does in the beginning. That's not unusual, but ours was a little more crisis-based. But I didn't... It's funny because he was my oldest. I didn't know any different. So for us, that that kind of was my normal. 
but definitely not the normal you see when you look around. And I felt pretty isolated. Um, I had to be for one because I couldn't necessarily take Charlie everywhere you would take a kid because he was vulnerable and we didn't want him to get sick and everything was a bigger deal. And so it was a very, I was like a hermit in my house. And because of that, I saw what everyone else was doing on Facebook and, and Instagram and everyone's all happy and it's messy, but it's fun or we're doing this craft or I'm cherishing these first few months of my baby. It was just hard. And Charlie and I had a bond instantly. But it's a small world when it's just you and your kid at home alone in your house. And I had had to kind of emergency quit my job because I went into labor at 30 weeks. And so I had to leave my job, and which is teaching high school. So I'm used to being around the chaos and the kids. And kind of let that go. And it was almost whiplash to stop that and then be at home. So that's how it was in the beginning. And then Charlie, he got the trach out when he was about a little, about a year and a half old. And then, of course, right around that time, um, we got pregnant and we had twins because we can't do anything normal <laughs> like wow. normal people. So I got pregnant with twins, boy, girl, twins. So that was a weird, like I had this kid, he had CP and he wasn't mobile. So he wasn't crawling. And then I had these two tiny babies that were also born early, but were fine. And nobody was mobile. And I had all of a sudden three kids that needed me for everything. And it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Um, And so I kind of, (laughs) yeah, I mean, you can imagine it. There's three little people lying on the floor watching Elmo's World. And I'm just waiting for one person to erupt because then everybody erupts. It's like when you watch a tennis match and the opponent's getting ready to serve and you watch the other person and they're like dancing on the balls of their feet because they're getting ready for it. Basically what the first like three years of having kids was like for me. I was just kind of on the balls of my feet all the time. But then it got great, actually. And this is actually right around the time that I started writing the book. After they got old enough, just a little bit old enough to be more self-sufficient. And I could kind of laugh a little bit at how the zoo that we had in our house. If you had asked me five years ago, my family would not have been what I saw in front of me. But it was actually better that way because I kind of pulled myself out of the running for like world's best mom pretty early. (laughs) Because we just had... so. It's actually a much more freeing place that I'm in now because of all of that, if that makes sense. Wow, that's a pretty amazing story. I have only got one and that in and of itself has its monumentous challenges. But at the same time, I can't even begin to imagine how you must have gone through those first three years, but I'm assuming that you just get through them and you just do your thing and you just move through. Yeah. One of the things that sort of struck me, wanted to interview you was the title of your book, which is all about unbound from the expectations of motherhood. I really would love to be able to get curious about that. So often, I think in general, we have expectations of ourselves without really knowing that standing that it's maybe societies that have imposed us or that on us. There's nothing like becoming a mother (laughs) to make that more known. And so I'm curious about that. Like, what are some of the expectations that you no longer have? I think my first expectation in motherhood was that it would be easy to become a mother. Hmm. I didn't know very many people that struggled with getting pregnant. I'm sure they were there, but it's not like they were broadcasting that in the church or in the supermarket. Nobody's standing in line going, you know, I took an ovulation test yesterday and it just Still is showing. I'm not on. They just don't talk about it. For us, when we actually had to seek out treatment from a fertility clinic, I had a miscarriage. We went through IVF. It was years of disappointment and living by that calendar rather than the rest of the world's calendar. And it was just wrenching. I mean, it just so hard. And I watched everybody else kind of, it just happened for them. You know, people who started trying the same time as me to get pregnant now had like a two-year-old. It made me think 
something is very wrong with me. If a teenager can look at her boyfriend in the back of a car and get pregnant, why can't I just get pregnant? It's just so unfair. Like we wanted this and we knew we would make good parents. We could just have the chance. And I was not a happy camper in those years. I'm sure I was not pleasant to be around. Just because, I mean, what do you do with all those emotions when you really, you want to be able to talk about it, but who do you talk about it with? There really wasn't. I could talk about it with my coworkers, but they all had kids and they could nod sympathetically, but nobody could really get that. And so I think from the very beginning, I was aware of the disparity between me and other women out there were mothers or were becoming mothers. (laughs) And I was just kind of on the sidelines. So that was the first thing I kind of bumped up against, I would say, in expectations of who I am as a woman. And then later, when I did become a mom, I had become a part of a community. I found by the time I actually had my first son, had Charlie, there were other women who had gone through infertility. And I had been part of the book. It kind of parallels women in the Bible whose stories were unconventional and they broke expectations. So I had been reading all of these stories. And the funny thing is, when I became pregnant and then when I had Charlie, the first emotion I ever felt was guilt. It was guilt. I wasn't appreciating every single moment after how hard it was to get pregnant. You know, like the joys of motherhood. I thought, I assumed I would just immediately just topple over into that. And I would be this grateful, like, haloed mother who could just do it. And it was not like that. It was hard. And I was not grateful all the time. And so then those expectations shifted and I had to learn how to not feel bad for feeling what I was feeling, whatever it was. That's so important what you just said, which is just not to give ourselves such a hard time about what we feel. The journey you've been on has been incredible. And there was something you said too about first feeling was guilt. And I'm sure that you're not the only one. You know, it's not uncommon. I think generally when you first have your child, that's overarching feeling that we get because we have this picture of perfection in our mind, the type of mother we want to be. And then (laughs) I'm laughing. (laughs) The reality is something quite different. And the only person beating themselves up about this is ourselves. Because actually the baby doesn't know. Like seriously, the baby doesn't know, right? And we're kind of putting this self-imposed image of what we thought it would look like as opposed to what it actually really is. And to be in the present moment all the time, I don't even know if the Dalai Lama is, you know? (laughs) (laughs) No way. (laughs) There's no, like that's not the human experience as far as I can tell doesn't really allow for us to be in the present moment all the time. Yes, we can come back to it more of the time. In our heads, in our experience, we have the capacity to go into the past or looks like the past. And we have the capacity to create this future that has never happened yet. That's the power that we have. We're an experience generating machine as far as I can tell. I love what you just said there. I think we're kind of strung along by our memories. I mean, we build off of them. Our character is built on them. And to not pull on that experience would almost be unfair to us. I mean, I think, yes, you want to live in the present and appreciate the moment. But I think you would lose so much richness in your life if you didn't let yourself also drift back to what has built your character what has kind of been the foundation and the the set of stairs that has led you to where you are, because there's something to be said for learning from your history, both mistakes and great things you've done. I think as a mom, we tend as mothers, we tend to forget the good stuff that we do. We are so good at taking a highlighter to all the things that we think we've like messed up in our kids or, you know, we're like, Are they going to remember this? Are they going to remember this one moment when I screamed, stop screaming? 
in the middle of the park, just screamed it. And everyone else turned a lot, you know, like <laughs> you have these memories and you're like, are, am I going to just, is this going to be a conversation with their therapist later? But there's so many good things we do and we just don't focus on them enough. Like we want to be cheered on, but if we can't even do it ourselves, then who's going to do that? It's got to be us first. I so love that, Jamie, like the conscious awareness around the fact that if we're, <laughs> if we're not doing it for ourselves, there's no point looking at other people to do it for us because actually what really counts is us doing it for ourselves. Yeah, I love what you've just said about memory. I've never seen it that way, but you're absolutely right. The beauty of us having the capacity to remember and have memories of our children when they were young and what they used to do and how they used to do it and possibly how we used to do things and how far we've come. If we weren't able to look into the past or at least remember, we would never be able to appreciate how far we've actually come. Yeah. So what are some of other expectations that you've seen that maybe a more general one that, that we have as mothers that you're like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. This is a good one. <laughs> I don't know. Pinterest is a thing. I don't love Pinterest because it kind of stresses me out. The rabbit holes you fall down and everything is beautiful on the pages. Thought offhandedly back in the day that I could be a crafty mom. Like I really thought I could take my kids to the craft store and we could pick out feathers and glue and like we could paper mache something amazing. And I thought I could invent all of these crafts because my mom was crafty. So I thought it's got to be in the blood, right? She like pendants for my teachers to wear and all of these things. So anyway, I thought it was, was going to be doable. I am not a crafty mom. I am not. You, <laughs> you should see me try to follow like a six step instructions on how to follow the phases of the moon with Oreos. This is the full and this is waxing and waning. And like, I have absolutely tried to do these things and I can't even make myself care. Like I can't, we end up eating the Oreos and nobody cares because <laughs> what are we going to do with the phases of the moon and Oreos, put it on the fridge and watch the ants like crawl up the fridge. I can't do it. And I'm so impressed with the moms that can. Like also the moms that can make own baby food and all of that stuff. I think I bought like a Nutribullet thing in the early days of motherhood to make the kids food to puree the steamed organic sweet potatoes that I was going to do. Never used it once. <laughs> like these are just things apparently do not appeal to my mothering love language because craft can be at school which is great but at home it's just never going to happen and that's okay I let it go I mean I'll color with them all day we will do sidewalk chalk I will read I will read books until the sun rises but crafts are not my thing I just can't <laughs> amen sister I'm so glad you accepted that part of yourself <laughs> Yeah, it's so funny, right? Like what we think we might be like and then what actually really is the reality of it. So I remember yeah. when Leo was about six, when, when he started to eat seven or eight months, right? I was like, yeah, I'm going to be the mom that's going to cook everything. <laughs> and I ended up buying packets of Ella's Kitchen, which was like, um, it was all organic food that was pre-packed. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. And then I would just cook it up. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, like the judgment of others. Like I would just be like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, that would never be me. And it's like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Let's give you a taste of what that might look like to have more compassion and maybe a little bit more humility. Oh yeah. True. Everything I said I wouldn't do, I did. <laughs> like this. Where I'm like, yeah, no, my son, he won't watch television and he was like four. <laughs> uh, no, not true. Totally failed that one. Totally failed 
food made at home thing when he was younger. I, I cook now at home because I love it. I've got more time. What else was there waiting in the wings for me to say that I wasn't going to do that I did? Like, what some of yours? What are the other things that you said? Never, never, I'm never going to do that. And then found yourself doing them. Okay. Well, the, the, I'm laughing at the screen time one because that's definitely one of ours too. I wanted to have rules on screen time. I really did. But, well, okay. For, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna, for one thing, so Charlie, he's six now and he has limited communication. So the videos and everything else were initially for educational purposes, all right? They were educational. We watched, you know, Baby Einstein, and he was learning the sign language and stuff on there. And there's something called Baby Signing Time, which is another one. Slowly, of course, crossed over into the dark side of, like, the YouTube video of the fruits and vegetables singing and the endless videos of just footage of planes landing. I don't know. He loves them. So we watched them. There was a moment when Charlie, I had all three of the kids by myself at the park. We were walking kind of around the path and Charlie had his iPad in front of him and he was watching a video because sometimes by the end of the day, it's the sensory processing stuff. It's just too much for him and he needs to just kind of tune the world out and just watch something. So I had them all and we were walking around the path and it was fine. I do it all right in my mom land. And then we passed by this kind of elderly couple and they were power walking in the park. And I watched the woman look at Charlie and see the iPad and just shake her head. And it was just this, like I stopped walking. They walked by and I had to stop for a minute because it was just this sudden moment of like, I quickly felt bad that I was letting Charlie watch this video. Then I quickly got mad because I was like, you don't know what my world is. Like, you don't know why he's watching this video. And even if we had no other good reason than he just wants to watch a video, why is that worth a look and like that hissing noise that old people are so good at making that I can't even make? Like that, that shaking of the head and that disappointed noise. It's crazy. It's funny. You think, you kind of think your armor is built up as a mom and then something happens. And you realize how sensitive you are to other people's view of your family. And that was just one of those moments where I wanted to defend myself, but then that would have been just ridiculous because I don't need to get into like a throwdown match at the park with somebody. (laughs) But it just, it's funny that, that I thought I had gotten past that and I hadn't. (laughs) Yeah, I totally resonate with this. (laughs) What I've found is that when someone would say that or do that and I would get upset, I realized quickly that it's probably what I had been doing. All those times that I had in the airplanes with kids screaming their head off. And inside of my head, I would go, when I have children, I'm going to be so much better at this than them. When I have children, I'm going to be the mom that has them quiet forever. When I have children, (laughs) right? So like just being really up myself and what came to mind that I was I was flying from Bali to Hong Kong and there were major storms, major, major, major storms. And Leo at the time he must have been two and a bit, two and a half. And he was crying and crying and crying and crying and crying and crying. And everybody turned and looked at me. Yeah. <laughs> and I <suddenly> realized <laughs> Oh yeah. I'm now that person. <laughs> I'm the lady on the plane with the screaming baby. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just so humbling. It seems like all of my own judgments and criticisms that I've had about parenthood, about other people, about their behavior has been a huge wake up call for me in the sense that I've been put into those situations or I found myself doing exactly the same thing and getting a much deeper understanding of why we do what we do which has actually been a gift because I realized I had all of these, I don't know, did this happen to you? Like loads of rules and regulations about what motherhood is, how it should be without really paying much attention to just letting it flow. Oh gosh, yes. And it's funny, like if you had asked me before 
I became a mom, what my expectations were, I don't think I could have said them. Like, I don't think I could have made actually written down that list. But afterwards, when (laughs) I watched some of those expectations for myself not be met, that's when I felt it. I didn't realize that I had placed all this weight and what it would look like until it didn't look like that. Until I wasn't the endlessly patient, meditating mom that could just handle any kid meltdown with grace and genuine love like a Care Bear. When that didn't happen, that's when I realized, oh, I actually thought it would go like that. (laughs) Silly me. (laughs) I think I love what you said about just letting it flow because so many times the frustrations as a mom come from trying to just force your way through an attitude or situation that you're in that you think should be different. And you're just pummeling yourself for it, for not being different. And then, which is silly because we're all, obviously we're all trying to evolve as human beings, but you can't force it. There's only a certain configuration in your life that you can kind of handle one time and you can't just be that perfect mom or let go of that one kind of vice that you have as a mom or whatever it is. You can't just, It takes work and it takes practice. And sometimes it's not necessary. Sometimes this is just the mom you are. I think that maybe is the biggest thing that we don't let ourselves realize is that there are just some things about us as moms. This is just our character as a mom. And it's not necessarily a bad thing just because it's not what you thought it would be. How you come across and how you parent, just because it's different, either from how your mom did it, or maybe this happens to me sometimes. If it is, I do notice something that I'm doing exactly like my mom that I said I wouldn't do. (laughs) Even something like that, it's okay that that's how it is. It doesn't have to be different just because you maybe swore that it would. (laughs) It's so true. I love what you're saying, Jamie, because it's often the rules and regulations and then we don't keep to them and then we beat ourselves up about not keeping to them. And it takes us out of our joy and throws us into this mumless pit of woe and flagellation and guilt. And we spend so much time in that. And I'm not saying that we should all avoid it because in fact, it happens sometimes, but it's okay. Like I, I had a really big insight into this myself when one morning, I think it was no one afternoon, my son had put on the tap outside. And I told him to shut it off. I go and shut it off and he doesn't move. And then he looks at me, he looks at the tap, looks at me again, and then turns it on. (gasps) Yes. (laughs) I just really lost my rag. And to the point where one of the big rules I had is never smack my son. But I smacked him and I was so angry And crazy behavior, just crazy behavior. So I left him at home. I got in the car. I drove off. And then I was like, what am I doing? Shit. I left my son at home on his own. (laughs) I went back. He was hysterical. And we just lay in a puddle of tears and mess for about 10 minutes. Yeah. And God, I'm getting really emotional. Marina. It was almost like, my God, like I don't even recognize myself. Like, who is this? Yeah. And so what I realized was, is I didn't need to buy into those behaviors either. So the next day, Leo and I had a chat and I said, look, mommy was really angry and she's really sorry. Her behavior behavior was like a tantrum. She had her own tantrum. (laughs) And he just turned around and he said, it's okay, mommy. I forgive you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Kids, man. Here's the thing I love about that story. The ending. There is something so humbling about getting down on your knees and looking your child in the face and apologizing. Like, I am so sorry that I made that sad choice. My kids talk about they have happy choices and sad choices at school. And so that's kind of how we talk about it at home. And, And I'm like, mommy made a sad choice. And I am so sorry about that. And kids are 
so generous in their forgiveness. And they really mean it when they're like, it's okay, mommy. Like they really mean it. But of course you reciting this, you remember every single second of that (laughs) moment, that scene. Of course you do. It's sure it's imprinted in your brain. And oh my gosh, we all have those. The total mom meltdown where no amount of counting, no amount of like (laughs) anything is going to save you from the anger. And it can happen so fast. Like you're fine or you think you're fine. And the kids are so good. That look that they do, the pause, the wait, the, and then they do that one thing they're not supposed to do. Like, don't drop that ball down the air vent. Don't do it. I know the pause, the lower the hand, you know, you're three feet too far away to stop it. And then they just let go and you lose it. I think we might have a a toy chest worth of toys in our air vents. If you could take a step back, you wouldn't flip out. In the grand scheme of life, is the water on and off or the ball down the air vent a game changer? No, but it's just that attitude. It sends me and everybody's been there into a tailspin. Yeah. I'm all riled up now. (laughs) Let me change the direction a little bit of the conversation where we can just calm it down a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) We've gotten ourselves worked up. Yeah. But what's interesting about this is when we're able to actually be consciously aware of these behaviors and get curious about them, because for me, it was, where the hell did that come from? I did not know that I had the capacity to be that way. I really didn't know that. I didn't know that I had that sort of behavior. I didn't know that. I realized over time that there's a lot of behaviors that have been learned from us via other people when we were growing up. Somehow that was okay. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this is a behavior that's just been handed down. Well, if that's the case, then I can hand it over. (laughs) I can hand it over. Yeah. I don't need to carry on this behavior because in actual fact, it doesn't help anyone. And that's not to say that it doesn't show up, but it also means that there's a capacity for change. And what I've seen is that through these moments of my own behavior where I've gone, holy fuck, what the hell was that? (laughs) Um, That was interesting. That actually (laughs) it's been a learning point for me to go, hmm, that doesn't work. I was interviewing someone about joy recently and, well, obviously this is this podcast, and he was saying, well, you can still get the same result without it being so stressful. You can still get the same result with your son, but you can just make it more playful. And that was very new to me Mm -hmm. because I guess I had learned that somehow you wouldn't have to do it through threatening, (laughs) that it couldn't be fun. And that was very new for me. What I see is because we have this capacity to learn, we have this capacity for insight, we have the capacity for reflection, We all have the capacity for us to become aware and get curious about our behaviors. There is a really big opportunity here for us to shift and change and for it not to stay the same as it always has been. What's been your experience of that? Oh my gosh, it's so spot on. I really think that's where the joy comes from is the fact that we have the capacity to learn and change. It's almost like you can approach yourself with the same curiosity as you would approach a stranger, where you're kind of just learning who you are as a mom and who you are in these different situations. And I think for me, my kids, they like to see me change. They like to see me learn from my mistakes too. Because, you know, we're always... <laughs> sure they do. I mean, seriously, because, <laughs> you know, it's like they, we always talk to them about, okay, so how can you do it differently next time? Or if so-and-so, you know, steals your crayon, the famous purple crayon that you won't let go of, how are you going to react next time? Because the way you did it this time, which is good. <laughs> Grabbing the crown, breaking it in half and running around the classroom is probably not appropriate. So we always talk about how we're going to do it differently next time. And I've started doing that too with them. I've started saying to my kids, 
these sometimes these conversations are really funny. Which how do you think mommy should do it differently next time when we're in one of those like conflict tense moments where I know I've lost my temper too quickly or I think that how intense I say something is a direct correlation with how well they listen, which is not necessarily true. Um, We talk about like, how do you think mommy should do it differently? I ask you that question all the time. What do you think about me? And they love that. And it's so funny. Sometimes it totally diffuses the situation because some of their answers are hilarious. Like they will turn to me and they will say, mommy, you made a sad choice. (laughs) I think you need, (laughs) mommy, do you need to take a minute and go in timeout? I mean, some of them, I mean, sometimes it's sassy and I'll be like, no, ma'am, I do not. But I think finding, this sounds crazy, but for me, finding a way to revisit the situation and find some of the humor in it and really has become my favorite mom lesson that I've learned. I mean, like, for example, in Unbound, I talk about some really hard stuff. Charlie's beginning was very difficult. A lot of Charlie's present life is very difficult. He's in a wheelchair. He has limited verbal skills. There are so many things that if you let yourself dwell on the facts of the situation, the whole thing would feel very weighty. But what you don't see is the fanfare that we get whenever we fly, whenever we go to the airport and Charlie's in his wheelchair. There's nothing better than beating security lines and heading straight to the front of the airplane because you're in a wheelchair and you get the royal treatment. I mean, there's things like this that I'm like, man, or the handicap parking. Can we stop for a minute and just appreciate the handicapped spaces that I never now have to hunt for a spot. I mean, there's some things you have to be able to look at the amazing, joyful things that are in your life, no matter who you are, or you're going to be stuck in whatever dark thing you're not doing right. But for me, the joy is picking up on all of those little weird quirks about my kids and weird quirks about my parenting because we all have them. And focus on those because why not? I mean, if you get to pick what you think about all the time, which we do because it's our own brain, why not pick the great stuff, you know? I love that. I love looking at life with a sense of humor. Yesterday, I was watching Britain's Got Talent. I don't know if you know it. It's uh, I do. What came up as you were talking was there's a guy on there who just got into the semifinals and he's actually got cerebral palsy. And he's called <gasps> I need to see it. voice guy. And he's incredibly talented. He's a comedian. And he uses a computer to talk. So he programs yep. and tells his jokes through the computer. But they're all self-deprecating. So in the sense of self-deprecational humor in the UK is very, very... He's extremely witty. And yeah. he talks about, I get free parking spaces, talks about... <laughs> um, talks about the reality of his condition. And it's really funny. He was saying, you know, he got on the train, he was sat down, he can't talk. And then a blind guy came in and he kind of knows where the disabled area is in the train and sat on him. <laughs> but he <laughs> couldn't talk. <laughs> and because he couldn't see him, right? So... <laughs> I can't even- I don't know whether that happened or not, but the point being is, is that he found humor for his situation and you should see his smile. I mean, it just is incredibly inspiring and his smile is just literally from one ear to the other. And well, now I've got to go watch it. You've got to go and watch it. Yeah. It's the lost voice guy. You can just YouTube it. Charlie has that same speaking device where he uses a computer yeah. to speak for him. So now I really want to see it. That's really cool because the other th- <laughs> the other thing that I saw, the other joke that he had is, um, you may not have heard of me before, but you might have heard of my voice. And then he presses the computer and he says, you know the voice that they have in the airports? <laughs> <laughs> and then of the train, that guy. It's the same voice. 
crazy. But for me, this really speaks to your attitude towards life, Jamie. And I know that maybe you have shit days as we all do. And you well, get yeah. grumpy or whatever, but the intent is to want to see life through the humor, through the joy, what's not working, through the ungratefulness. But we can also see it through what can I learn? What can I get curious about? What if I didn't take myself so damn seriously? What if I didn't take the situation yes. seriously? You know, what could that do? Yes. Oh, gosh. I think I was a serious kid. And I think somehow becoming an adult. I think I reverse. I don't think I'm actually getting less mature. I think I'm going to call it a step ahead in my maturity in the fact that I have now finally learned how to laugh at myself. Because beyond maturity. (laughs) Yes, I like that. I'm going to go with that. And I'm going to say that from now on. I have moved beyond into the (laughs) land of humor where where it's such a nicer place to live. (laughs) Not that I'm necessarily, not that life itself is funnier, but I think just like that guy, I mean, I think you can spin it. You can spin almost anything to be more lighthearted than it might otherwise be. And I think that's a skill. I'm going to call that a strength because there's so much heavy stuff. I mean, not just for moms, just in the world today. There's so much heavy stuff. And I think if you let yourself sit in it, it makes for a harder life. And it makes maybe a less proactive life too. I think if you want to be kind of someone who spreads a positive message, or even just in your own life, if you want to be more of a positive person within your own tiny family, if you let yourself it in the badness, that's not a way to help yourself or help anybody else. I think there's something to be said about the healing powers of laughter and humor and optimism. Yeah. And, you know, Jim, I was watching Andy Kaufman and me. Have you seen that movie? It's, it's, oh, yes. Yeah. And, it, uh, and do you remember yes. the part where he talks about his audience and what he wanted to become really good at because he got really interested in what his audience wanted. And he talks Mm -hmm. about how he realized that he wanted to help his audience forget about their worries and their problems. And that was the solution that he was providing for them, which is why he became a comedian. And because he crafted his art, because he wanted to make sure that that was the outcome. And I love that because it's a really beautiful reminder that we do not need to take ourselves so seriously and that life can be taken with a pinch of salt or it can be taken with a sprinkle of of sugar. I kind of had this image of if we are able to laugh at our own behavior after the fact, it's actually really quite hilarious when you think about it. A story comes to mind and I'm really aware of the fact that we've got a little bit of time left, but I think (laughs) we can go over on this podcast episode that... (laughs) It was one evening I was speaking to a friend of mine. My partner comes home and chicken's in the oven, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm talking and he sits right in front of me. And I'm like, why is he sitting right in front of me? Like I'm speaking to somebody. (laughs) After a bit, he could see that I was still talking. And then I was like, well, why hasn't he checked the chicken? Like, surely. Like I've been at home and I put the chicken in. Why can't he just bloody check it? He's free. He's not doing anything. So anyway, (laughs) I turn around and say, can you just please check the chicken? And he goes, okay, fine. So he goes and checks the chicken, turns it over, puts it back in. And then I'm like, all this time I'm speaking to my friend, of course, but I'm not really present because I'm thinking, why doesn't he start to make the vegetables? vegetables. Who does he? Um, By which point I go off the phone with my friend and I was really like... (laughs) You had worked yourself up. I totally worked myself up about the chicken, about the vegetables (laughs) that he hadn't done. And then he started to ask me, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. (laughs) He might be married to the same person. I'm like, I don't know. He might be in a relationship. (laughs) Anyway, so I'm having this whole kind of conversation in my head that he's not privy to. And then he walks away and I'm like, where are you going? And he goes, I'm going to sit on the sofa over there and wait until you've calmed down. I'm like, I am calm. Why? What are you going about? The only reason why I'm not calm maybe is because you're telling me to calm down. And you're telling me that I'm not calm. Anyway, he walks over to the sofa. He puts in his earplugs. And then there's me going off on one going, 
oh God, he's the type of guy that's so emotionally unavailable. He'll never go to counseling with me if I have issues like this. And I already imagined myself going to counseling and sitting there with the counselor and going, well, yeah, he doesn't ever talk. He's really emotionally unavailable. Um, at which point I'm like, oh, I've got a session with my coach. I'm going to go upstairs then. Fine. You just sit there and, and stew in your own in your own emotional unavailability space. Go upstairs, have a conversation. And she starts laughing. And then I start laughing because I suddenly see my crazy behavior, like Jim Carrey doing his scene of like one of his goofy characters, right? And I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> that's really I'm bad the lady. crazy one. Crazy Right. <laughs> <laughs> Although, listen, I was hearing this story and I've got to say, I think you might have won this one. And maybe it's just because you and I are very similar, but I'm like, dude, he should have just made the vegetables. None of this would have happened. <laughs> you can't read my mind. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm really just fine. <laughs> and he's like, no, you're not. Really like, yeah, just yeah. fine. So, Jamie, That's- any other expectation that you no longer have while you were like, oh, great. Yeah. Any other that comes to mind before we wrap this up? This is an expectation. I'm going to say it out loud. And you're going to say, why did you ever actually have that expectation? But I'm just going to say it. I think for me, for some reason, I thought that once I had kids, I would no longer need personal space, like desire personal (laughs) space. I just kind of imagine my family within touching distance of me all the time. And then in my mind, you know, it's kind of like Mother Goose with all her little goslings like underneath her wing. Like to me, it was comforting. And then reality hits. I would like to be able to go to the bathroom without one to three people following me. Write an email. While there are other people in the house without being interrupted between five and 10 times. It's one of those things that I thought I would enjoy this happy chaos, you know, and I do most of the time. But the fact that I thought that I would not crave personal space, like me, the person that likes nothing more than get a book from the library and then find a quiet whole corner in my house and just like live there for a little bit. Like, I don't know why I thought I would not still need that after I became a mom, but I think we do that all the time. I think we think we're going to actually maybe turn into different people like Clark Kent and Superman. And then like motherhood is the Superman version of yourself. And you just kind of assume you're not going to need the things that you used to need and you will actually have superpowers to get you through the day and that you're going to be okay, amazing at it. So the personal space thing is one I'm just coming to grips where I actually will just tell my kids, mommy needs 10 minutes. I will literally, I will start the timer like on the oven clock and I will say, mommy needs 10 minutes. Nobody is allowed to talk to me for 10 minutes. And usually that's about enough to reset. But I don't feel guilty about that one. That one took me a long time to not feel guilty about, but I have finally come to terms with the fact that I need my space. Of course. Gosh. (laughs) Why did I not think that? Why did I not realize that from the very beginning? Like, Why did I think that it would be okay to have a hand on me at all times? God knows. I don't know. God knows. God knows that answer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because we never know how we're going to feel until the actual thing has happened. We know how it's going to be, how we're going to feel, how we're going to act. But we have no idea, like none whatsoever in the least. And, you know, case in point with having kids, we just don't know. We don't know because Mm -mm. thinking is just so momentary. It's so momentary. It's so momentary. It gives rise and then, then we're in it. So we don't know. We just don't know. It's a very humbling experience. very much so. Very much so. But what I love about humbling experiences is that it means that the ego has to take a backseat. Yes. And it's through the ego taking a backseat that we can actually experience more joy. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. 
So bring on the humbling stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Why bring them on. We just wished on ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there needs to be like a Jamie and Marina podcast part two where we say, Here's what we brought on ourselves by saying all these things. <laughs> on- <laughs> yeah, let's talk oh, off yeah. podcast about that. So, Jamie, one question <laughs> I love to ask my podcast guests is, what are you giving yourself permission to do more of these days? Oh, well, gosh, that's so easy. I just talked about that. Personal faith and time. It has been six years since I first became a mom. This is the first year that I have actively, aggressively scheduled times to go out with my friends and ways to just be out of the house on my own as a human that's not human slash mom. And it is just now happening. And I am so proud of myself for finally doing it and doing it without guilt, you know, not worrying about what the kids are doing or how everybody is faring, just really being able to take that time away so that when I come back, I can be present and be a happier version of myself. Sure. Sure. Like, wow. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for coming on here today. If someone wants to grab your book, which I would highly, highly recommend, where can they do that? (laughs) It's pretty much everywhere. It's online, Amazon, it's in Mm -hmm. Barnes and Noble bookstores worldwide. And they can find me at www.mom-gene.com. That's where I blog and kind of write about the bomb life. So that's amazing. Hmm. I'll make sure to put the links at the bottom of the show notes so they can access the book and they can go to your website. And for everybody else that was listening in today, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And as much as I think Jamie did, I can't speak for you, but my feeling is we had a good time. It was great. Yes. And so until the next time, bye-bye for now. Thank you. Bye. And there you have it. Another wonderful episode of The Joy of Being. If you loved what you heard here today and it's been helpful, why not subscribe or share the podcast with others? And if you're curious as to how you can experience more joy in your life and feel carefree, then I invite you to download your Joy Catalyst Scorecard at www.marinapearson.com slash scorecard, which will help you identify the joy gaps and what you can do to fill them. So until next week's episode, remember, you are the joy you seek.